name is Dr. Christy Morgan, and I am the Arizona Director for Candle Wishes in Phoenix, Arizona. My name is Jenny Williams. I'm the Founder and Executive Director of the Candle Wishes Foundation. I just really felt this burden come over me for these kids. Children mean a lot. Um, <clears throat> you never want a child to grow up feeling like they're not loved. God put this on my heart to want to give these children Happy birthdays! This foundation just touched my heart, so I knew that this was something that I needed to do. Okay, y'all, I'm not gonna ugly cry. This is terrible. There was a time in our life where we struggled. Um, there was a time in our life where we lived paycheck to paycheck. One time when we first moved down to Phoenix, a friend of ours, even at Christmas time, paid for my son to have a picture. <laughs> paid to have a picture of our son sitting on Santa's lap and I couldn't afford it because we had just moved across the country. And so, that's always stuck with me. If you would love to sponsor a child, if you would like to throw a birthday party, if you would like to just volunteer, we need your help. Reach out to us so that we can connect and, um, and make our community a better place. Hey, good morning and welcome to Breakthrough Walls. I am Ken Walls. I'm your host. And I just want to give an extra plug to Dr. Christy Morgan's um, uh, charity thing that she's doing there with Candle Wishes. Make sure you guys go follow her page for Candle Wishes of Arizona on Facebook. It's a really, really awesome thing that, that they're doing there to help children. So um, without any more about that, I want to talk about... The guy that I have coming on, um, we've been friends on Facebook for a little bit now, and um, he's intimidating. <laughs> I'm just kidding. He's a he's a, he's a good dude. I, I just wanna I wanna go ahead and bring him on. James Springer, welcome to the show. I appreciate you coming on, man. Good to be here, Ken. How you doing? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. So um, you you are you are, you know I, I think I told you one time that um, that I had a, um, a a psychiatrist one time told me he, he I was selling him a bathroom thing when I worked for this bathroom remodeling company a long time ago and he says um, he says all right what's what's the price on it and I forget. It, 5,000, whatever it was for this whole remodel. And, and he says, um, okay, well, what's your best price? And I said, that is my best price. And he says, he says, um, <laughs> he goes, no, it's not. And I said, yeah, it is. And he goes, no way. And I said, it, it really is. And he goes, you're lying. I said, I don't lie, dude. He's like, everybody lies. And I said, I, maybe everybody else does, but I don't, right? I was puffing my chest out and he's like, Dude, listen, it's don't take it personal. Everybody has to lie. It's a built-in mechanism that we all have. If you told yourself the truth about everything going on around you, you'd go crazy. You'd lose your mind. It's true. So, so true. Uh, I was, I've, I've never forgotten that. Like, I have never forgotten that. Because now every person I talk to, I'm like, they're lying. <laughs> like... <laughs> But anyway, we'll get into all that because I know you're an expert in, in that field and, and with human communication and, 
and lie detection. <laughs> anyway, um, I, I want to talk about um, you. Let's talk about where where you were. Start off with where you were born and raised. I was born in a little town called Frenchlick, Indiana, and uh, we were very very poor when I was when I was born. My dad was making twenty five dollars a week. Uh, back in 1964, that still wasn't very much money. Wow! Uh, so we were we were very poor when we first started out. My dad was uh, an orphan, and uh, he had they had me when he was 18, and so he he took a very menial job at a factory there. The only thing he could find when he left, he was assistant superintendent of the plant. He became very successful over his over the course of his life. So I started out in poverty and worked my way into the middle class as we as we grew up. So, you know, that was where my basic story started was it was there. Uh, my dream was to be career Air Force. And uh, so I joined when I was 18 and uh, didn't get to finish my term, my term there because they I got injured. So I lost my career that I wanted to have so badly. And uh, so I had to start over. And uh, oh, wow. so I how, went to how long were you in the Air Force? Just very shortly, I got injured in basic training, so I was very, very short. Oh, wow. wow. Yeah, I broke, broke both of my legs in, in basic training. So Broke? Yeah. Oh, and my so they, they They didn't want me anymore, so they were taking in 700 new recruits a day, so they were sending you know, a lot of people out. And uh, so they, they at least paid for my, my schooling after I got out. And, wow. And so took care uh, but I was in too short of a period of time to get VA benefits or anything like that. So it was it was what it was, and, and part of who I am now. Yeah. Uh, you know, somebody just, somebody just commented um, a, a, a friend of mine in New Zealand of all places, Hans Feller, says Larry Bird is from there. Absolutely, I used to pay a quarter to watch him play. Larry Bird. Yep, I paid twenty five cents a game to watch him play. Are you serious? Wow, that's incredible. He, he was amazing in high school as he was in college in the pros. <clears throat> wow. So, so you 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 went you grew up in and this is in Indiana. Mm -hmm. You grew up there, and that must be is that Southern Indiana or what? It's about fifty miles north uh, west of Louisville, Kentucky. Okay, okay. Um, so. You were in, and you grew up there. You went to school. Did you go to college? I went to a technical school for two years and uh, got my degree as a technical degree as a design engineer. Okay. And started out uh, back right after the earth cooled, uh, working on paper and pencil uh, <laughs> on a drafting board. So, right <laughs> so, that was a uh, while ago. Is that what you're saying? Yes, it was a while ago. But I got lucky because I was so young. And since PCs were just a, you know, personal computers were just a passing fad, I got to be the person that got put on the uh, the new computer. And so I went from there and, and learned to draw on it. I learned to program it and learned, learned to manage the network. So I moved up that way. Okay. Then moved, I moved into sales just shortly after I had I had a personality profile done uh, at one of the companies that I worked for. And. The, the guy that did the analysis came back to me and he said, you don't work with the public, do you? And I said, no. He said, that's a good thing. <laughs> so uh, he said, you don't have the temperament to work with the public. Wow. And so I immediately went into sales uh, <laughs> and uh, actually um, it was a draw against commission sales job. So I didn't have any security and 
I set a sales record there that stood for probably over 10 years. No kidding. Because even though I was a design engineer, I still thought outside the box and I was creative with what I did. I didn't know how to sell, so I didn't know what you're not supposed to do. And uh, so I, I built my career based on that. And I've always been an outside the box thinker. Probably why I'm doing what I do today. Sure, sure. So, so you and how old were you then when you got this into sales? Uh, about 20s? 20, 25 or so. Okay. Okay. Maybe 26. Because I started my first company when I was 28. Well, and- let, me, let me ask you this. Because this show, as you know, Breakthrough Walls is about helping people have a breakthrough, right? Um, I believe we all get stuck. We get into a mindset, generally, um, and we get stuck, right? And, 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 and some people stay there until they go to their grave, like, right? So when you were – here you are, a young kid going into the Air Force, and that was your – I guess I won't tell you that my, my nephew just retired as an F-16 pilot. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. I had no no chance of being a pilot. Uh, <laughs> yeah. oh, okay. that was my goal was to stay in. Yeah. Well, so so um but you you I mean that was your dream was to right. to, to to retire from the Air Force. And right. and I'll tell, was, why, I'll tell you why it was my dream because coming from where I came from, I knew what it was like to be very poor. Right. And I didn't want to ever be poor again. Right. So I figured the Air Force, the military was a good way to make sure I would always have a paycheck. I could tra- I could retire when I was, what, 38? Yeah. Uh, no, 48. And have my retirement and be set for the rest of my life. I could do whatever I wanted to on my pay and uh, on my retirement pay. And it just was a very attractive thing to me. Plus, I've always uh, appreciated the military and, and what they do. My son is a sergeant in the Army now. So... That's yeah, I've I've seen the pictures on Facebook. Good looking <laughs> kid you got there. So so here you are in the you're you're pursuing your lifetime goal and dream. You're gonna you're gonna spend twenty years in in the Air Force. You're gonna retire with this fat pension and 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 right and yep. and at thirty eight and you know party like a rock star for the rest of your life or whatever. And you break both, not one, but both of your legs in boot camp, and and they literally give you the boot. Yep. Like, get out. We don't want you. So now, at 20 years old, 18, 19, I don't know how old you were. 18. 18 years old, you've got this master plan, right? And it crumbles literally, literally like, <laughs> like your legs break and like it all falls apart. So what how, did you get into a funk? I mean, I'm, I can't imagine that you didn't. Yeah, I did. And, you know, I struggled for a while with what I was going to do. You know, I had I was a mediocre student in school. Uh, academics didn't appeal to me which is kind of strange based on what I do now, but I, I did. I, I just knew that I didn't want to go to a four-year college and, and spend the time doing that. Uh, it took me a while to decide on what I wanted to do. I knew a guy that was a design engineer. He was making good money, so I went to, to school to do that. I didn't really want to do that. It just seemed like the, the easiest way to get decent pay, you know, in a job. Right. 
So, yeah, I mean, it was a breakthrough for me to do that. Uh, but I've always been the kind of person that if you tell me I can't do something, that'll be the one thing that I make sure that I do. Right, right, right. You can't give me a million dollars, man. <laughs> so, <laughs> no, no, I won't. <laughs> right. He said, I won't. <laughs> There's a difference. So <laughs> I love that, dude. So, so, um, so here you are, you know, uh, again, you didn't let, I mean, it sounds like you didn't let it stop you. Like you, you're like, okay, this happened. I'm not staying stuck here. My legs are going to heal. I'm going to move on. I'm going to figure it out. Um, and then, you know, fast forward a couple of years here, you are at 25 now in, in a sales job and you're setting world records with the company that you're, and what was it you were selling? Um, I was selling AutoCAD systems. Okay. I was selling, this, basically the computers that I had been using and managing, I, I decided that the guys that were selling to the mechanical engineering market didn't know what they were doing. Right. So I, I joined them so they would have a mechanical salesperson. Gotcha. Gotcha. So at, 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 at some point, like, you know, like you moved on from that to something else, right? What, what happened? What was next in, in your journey? Well, I got tired of sharing my profits with the guys that owned the company. Okay. Uh, you know, I was at that time, I was pretty cocky, pretty confident. Uh, I was a bumblebee. I didn't know what you couldn't do. I didn't know that, you know, I was told that, you know, I didn't have enough money to start a company. It was too hard to start a company. Uh, I didn't know enough about computers to do that. I mean, I was a salesperson, not a technician. So, you know, there were a lot of people who said, well, you know, you don't know anything about the consulting or the computer side of it, so you can't really do that. And I didn't have any money. I just had a bunch of credit cards. So mm -hmm. I, not knowing that I couldn't do it, I started a company, and, and I built it into, in today's money, probably about a million and a half dollars a year when I was 29 years old. Wow. Holy moly, dude. Uh did you so you build a like you had a sales team you had everything yeah that's um at 29 years old which is ironically around that age that i was i was hitting some similar numbers in life um how did you manage that success at such a young age very badly <laughs> I very badly uh i didn't know what i was doing really and yeah. uh listen i got bad advice from good people and I changed the the way that I was running my company yeah. and uh, I when I started out I was doing high-end engineering computers I had the best engineering computer on the market it was it was crazy but I couldn't sell into the low-end market and so I had friends tell me you know you need to have a, a home computer line a cheap line that you can sell you know to everyone right I did that and then what happened was all of my all of my clients who were buying my high end computers wanted the low end computer because it was about a third the price, mm -hmm. and very little margin. So it just basically killed me, and, right. and so it, it, that company went under eventually because I was doing the wrong thing. I thought I was selling two thousand dollar computers, and when I finally did the analysis, took it away from my bookkeeper, I was selling seventy five dollar products. Oh, jeez, yeah. So my whole business model was geared around a $2,000, $3,000 product, and I wasn't structured correctly for a $75 product. It's a whole different business model. Sure it and is. So yeah. it basically wiped me out. And, uh, wow. But I didn't, I didn't know that it was really my fault. I didn't believe that. And so I started another company when I was about 31, 
uh, after that one died. It was like three months after that one died that I started another one and uh, doing defense contracting, still in computers. And uh, that one, by the time I was 34, was in today's money probably worth around $10 million. Oh, my gosh, man. Wow. Doing defense contracting. Yes. <clears throat> so government money. Great government money. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> it yeah. was great government money. I mean, money. I heard they'll pay a million dollars for a toilet seat. <laughs> well, there's, a, there's a secret to that. There's a real secret to how you do that. Oh, is there? <laughs> Love it. So, <clears throat> so uh, uh, do you still have that company? or? No. Um, back in uh, the Clinton administration, they cut the defense budget substantially, and I was selling to the reserve uh, units and I got a call one day and they said did you see the budget change and I said yeah he said guess whose budget gets killed first and I said would that be the reserve component he said yeah he said guess who goes first when the reserve component goes down I said would that be the contractors he's yep oh wow which wasn't that bad to me at the time I had the choice of going into the private sector which I probably should have done uh, or retire so I was I, you know I had a boatload of money and I was young, so I decided I deserved it, and I retired and put all my money in the stock market. At what what age? About 36. 36. So you're two years ahead of your original plan. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right? So, oh, yeah. So here you are at, at 36 years old with what I'm going to assume is probably a couple at least million dollars in the bank, um, and, and you retire. What'd you do, man? Did you like go to the Bahamas? No, I kept my office and, and you know, I'd go hang out. And like I say, I, I put all my money in the stock market, made the mistake. Uh, you know, I, I knew tech, so I put all my money in tech stocks, leveraged it 45% maximum, maximum, and then uh, the tech bubble burst. So oh, I started shit. over again. <laughs> oh so, my gosh. Down yeah, to nothing. Back. Down to basically, I had enough to buy a car, and that was it. Oh my gosh, that's insane! So you start over again, and what did you start doing then? I started working with sales companies. Uh, I helped build sales teams. I worked for several different companies over the years, and, and basically, I never really had the desire to go back into business full time. You know, it was scary. It was it was dangerous in my wife's eyes. Uh, she really didn't want me to go back into business again. And when, when I was again, when I was making all the money that I could possibly spend on, on on lifestyle, she was always nervous because I didn't have a fixed paycheck. Right. I mean, I would just pay for anything that I wanted, anything that she wanted, but I didn't have a fixed paycheck, so it made her nervous. And, and that's so, that. You know what's interesting? And are you still married? Oh yeah. Okay. What's interesting though is I. And, and I've been there. I know that you've been there, whether you admit it or not, doesn't matter. But like, we've all been in that place where it's like something that somebody else taught us about life or money or what the way things should be literally can paralyze us like that. Like, and I'm not saying your wife was paralyzed. I'm just saying that it can be a paralyzing, terrifying feeling. Oh, yeah. Well, she was, she was raised in a family that was very job conscious, very uh, security oriented. Her yep. dad worked for a pipeline company, made good money, and yeah. he retired at, at 40 or 50, right around 55, yeah. and had his retirement set, didn't have to work ever again. 
and that was the model that she was used to. Yeah. And, and she wasn't used to some hair on fire, crazy guy that was always trying to do something new. Right. And, you know, that was, that was tough for me to begin because, you know, like you say, you get locked into a mindset. And one of the things that I had to break through was the fact that, you know, when you grow up middle class, you can only see yourself at a certain point right. a lot of times. And it's, it's like, you know, you bump up against the ceiling and if you go past it, you sabotage yourself to bring yourself back down. Tony Robbins talks about it all the time. Yep. You get successful and then you blow up and then you go right back to where you're comfortable. Yeah. And you know, it would have been very easy for me to just accept a middle-class lifestyle and, and you know, the, the job and, and there's nothing wrong with the job. It's just a matter of, you know, it, like Grant says, if you're hooked to the right, you know, if you're hitched to the right star, yeah. it's, it's, it's a good thing. Right. But right. I was having a hard time finding a good star to hitch on to. Yeah. And, you know, so finally I had another entrepreneurial seizure and, and came back out and started my own thing again. I can't even imagine. Like, I, I know because my wife, you know, has always worked in corporate America at sea level, you know, VP of marketing level. And and so when I when I met her, um, you know, she was definitely not used to my type of like, no way was she used to the entrepreneurial mindset. Because I, I'm just not employable. It's that simple. And and I'm the same way. I, I mean, I, I I can do it for a little bit, but at the end of the day, it's like, man, if if I, I don't know what is, you know, I, I know that it's it's something. Maybe it's the fear because I grew up extremely poor, like you did, right? And maybe it's that that fear of holy crap. I saw my mom and my stepdad work in a factory for years and years and years and still couldn't rub two nickels together. So it's like, well, I don't want that. <laughs> like, right. Like right. I, I'll figure it out. I don't know. Like the, the, there's, I, and, and it helped that I studied Zig Ziglar and, and Tony Robbins and all of these, these, you know, uh, Brian Tracy and, but what's what I love about what you just said is that it's it's the ceiling, right? And and I think that for me, I've hit that ceiling so many times in life, and I didn't even know it was there. As a matter of fact, I think I've hit that ceiling and fell back down, and 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 never even thought, oh, I hit I hit a, a, a the the ceiling. I never even thought about it, right? Right. How many people do you think go through that? A lot, a lot of people. And, and, you know, it's one of those things. And, and I had, I, I found, I heard another person say it, but I've been saying it for, you know, better part of 34 years. We had a lot of people, a friend of mine and I come to us and say, you know, I want to start a business of my own. I want to do this. I want to be an entrepreneur. And, you know, we would tell them, you've got to want it worse more than you want air because it's, it's more than, you know, more than just a job. Right. It's a, it's a total lifestyle and you got to be completely immersed if you're going to be successful. And, and we turned, we made a lot of people go back to their jobs after they, after they realized it. And, you know, at that time, a hundred thousand dollars was a lot of money. Uh, and, you know, we'd tell people, if you want a hundred thousand dollars a year, get two fifty thousand dollars a year jobs. And because it'll be easier to work 80 hours for two different companies for 50 than it is to work for yourself, hoping that you'll get a hundred. And that's the thing that people don't understand about entrepreneurial mindset. We're happier make, and I know Grant gets mad about this, but, we get we're happier making forty thousand dollars a year being on our own than we are making a hundred thousand dollars a year working for someone else. Yeah, and, and that's just the mindset that most of us have. That's right, that's right. I don't. I mean, I, I again, 
there's so many times where it's like I I've looked back and went I I don't even know like I look at sometimes I'll look at my invoicing that's gone out and and my lifestyle and I think how are we eating how how does that like how are we even doing this I don't get it how's it all working and then I'm like there must be a god cuz there's no other I can't I can't make sense out of it other than that so you know and and again I I think that you know I here's the thing James I think that there are so many people that that have it's a, it, it you know there's this innate desire to be successful to to live our dreams to pursue something maybe it's an art that you're you're a great opera singer or you're a great musician or you're you're a, you know you're you're really good at woodwork and you've always thought about opening a cabinet company or but that fear that that literally paralyzes 99% of the people on this planet do you teach in what you do now? Do you teach how to overcome that? To some degree, I, I mean, I work mostly with uh, salespeople. That's my primary goal. That's why I, why Hank labeled me as the science of selling, and, and that crosses over. You know, human resources are selling. You know, people all the time. Executives are selling people all the time. So I work with executives and HR and, and all that. The one area that I haven't gone into is is primarily criminal justice uh that's a tough market and you don't ever want to be too bad wrong when you're when you're interrogating prisoners it's, it's a lot easier and a lot safer to 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 help salespeople than it is to try to try to convict someone so yeah but yeah i mean i help people as a in the course of things i'm sure to get past the you know the the ceiling and, and when i was managing salespeople for other companies that was one of the things that we always taught people was don't get in your client's pocket. You know, we were selling there at one point we were selling forklifts for, you know, anywhere from 30 to $150,000, you know, ticket. Yeah. And a lot of the kids that I had selling for me had never made $25,000 a year. And so when they were, when they were trying to sell a $150,000 product, they were a lost ball in tall weeds. You know, they, they didn't, they couldn't get it through their mind that somebody might buy 300, Twenty-five dollar uh, forklifts at one time, and so you know it was tough to get them past that mindset of you know what you make is irrelevant to what someone else has, and don't get stuck in, in where you are. And, and I think getting stuck is is probably more of a problem than any that anybody has as far as that ceiling goes. Is they're stuck there and they can't see beyond where they where they're at. And, and so you know you just got to get through the mindset. And one of the ways that I got through it uh, was. When I was in commission sales and I was struggling, uh, you know, I wasn't making any money. And one day they gave me a check for $7,500 in commission. Right. And once you get the first commission check for that kind of money, your life is never, ever the same. And well, so that I, made a big difference. I, I, and I hear you and I agree that that definitely helps. However, and I used to teach this when I trained my salespeople, I would say, look, if if your ceiling is five hundred bucks a week, and that was back in, that was a while ago. So you know, five hundred bucks a week at at one point was like a lot of money, right? So, but I said, if that's your ceiling, and and you can't get in your head beyond that, then it's it's even if you have a two thousand dollar paycheck week, 
you're going to start doing things that get you back down to that that mental ceiling, okay. right? Like, okay. hey, I made two grand, I can take a month off, <laughs> right? Exactly. And then all right. of a sudden, it's like, no, dude, that's not the goal, right? But but there's there's this thing again, it's a ceiling. There's this mental block that a lot of people, most people, have in in some capacity, and so you know. I, I, I don't know how you define that, although I know that Tony Robbins talks about it a lot. I hear Grant talk about it a lot. You got to get your think right. You got to get your your mind right. You know, but how do you how do you get somebody through that? Have you ever thought about like how do I get somebody past that mental barrier? Got to read. Yes. Uh, the thing that got me over that hump was uh, when I was young. My dad decided to get into a sales deal with. Uh, Success Motivation Institute, and he was selling these tapes through uh, SMI. He was all excited about it, and, and he, he was doing it. And he brought home this package one day that was for young people, and he was real excited about it. I wasn't real excited about it. You know, I wasn't a motivation person. That was a waste of time. And so he kept after me and after me to listen to those tapes. One day he came to me and he said, well, do you want me to get off your back? And I said, yes, I want you to get off my back. And he said, take this one tape. I was working an hour and a half from my house. He said, take this one tape and listen to it. If you don't like it, I'll never say another word to you about it. It was the magic of thinking big. Oh, but, <laughs> or what, Earl Nightingale? No, it was uh, David Schwartz. Oh, David Schwartz. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I listened to that tape two or three times on the way to work that morning, two or three times on the way back, and I was hooked. And, and it, there was no turning back from that. I, he had to replace that tape for me probably four or five times because I would just wear it out. Yeah. And of course now today you don't have to worry about wearing a tape out. And a lot of a lot of people don't even know what that is. Right. But, I have but, no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> but uh, you know that changed my life, and, and there are certain things about that book that still stick in my head from you know from listening to it and then reading it. And I read that. I read you know pretty much everybody's stuff. This stuff behind me is just a backdrop. It's not the books I've read, but right, I, right. I could just about fill a shelf like that with the books that I've read. Sure. And, and I would tell salespeople, you got to read. If you're going to get past your mindset, you've got to read. And it's amazing how many salespeople were willing to settle with the status quo rather than reading a simple book like The Magic of Thinking Big, mm -hmm. uh, How to Win Friends and Influence People, How I Raise Myself from Success to Fail or from Failure to Success in Selling. You know, all of those books, and I brought a stack of them in, you know, and I had all my salespeople around the table. I said, I want you to pick one book, take it home and read it. They all picked a book, never read it, brought it back to me. I, 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 it, that's one of the most frustrating things. I, I have hired so many salespeople over the years. And, and I'll buy, like, there's this amazing book on, on how to be a consultant. It's a business fable called Getting Naked. And and it's it's an amazing book written by Patrick Lencioni. And and I used to buy that. I, I would get on Amazon and I'd buy 10, 12, 20 copies, whatever, and I'd pass them out to people. And and I would buy Zig Ziglar's books and give them to people and say, Okay, we're gonna we're gonna talk about this at the end of next week. And you know, it was like they would quit their job before they admitted that they didn't read a book. Like what the heck? I don't get it. And Grant, I've heard Grant say, you know, eighty or ninety percent of people never finish a book, never even finish most, a book. Most of them never finish the first chapter. I know. 
It's crazy, man. And I, I, I just I was talking to Lisa Copeland, a good friend of mine. She's a client of mine. Um, and she's a client of Hank and Steve's as well at Two Market Media. But she, you know, she, um, she we were just, I, she said, I, we were talking about me being, you know, showing up for her morning show at 745. I said, look, I'm, first off, I'm up late. So I don't, I, I you know, I don't get up early. Like, you know, I see people that are like, I'm a Navy SEAL. I get up at 430. I'm like, if I ever get up at 430, it's to go to the bathroom and that's it. Like, uh, that's it. Like, you know, but like I go, you know, I read and and spend some quiet time for the first hour of every single day of my life, every day of my life. And I read, 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 read. So like, I don't get the mindset of not wanting to expand and grow by reading. I don't understand that. Right. And it used to make my wife crazy because I would read like four or five books at a time. Yeah. I would have them open. I would read left page, right page, turn it over, put it down, read left page, right page of another book, put it down. And I'd go through four or five books and I would read them all at the same time. And she's like, how do you keep track of all of those books? And, and I was like, well, it's not romance novels. It's training. So it's a right. lot easier to keep track. Right. But <laughs> the other thing that I did, there was a book that I read and it just, it really changed my perspective on sales. And even though I couldn't get anybody to read it, I still trained it. It was a book called Selling to Veto, which is a very important top official. And I would always tell my salespeople, don't go in at the bottom, go in at the very top. It's a lot easier to have the CEO kick you down to the right person than it is to have the bottom person kick you up to the right person. They Amen. just want, you know, they like their fight and their fiefdoms and they won't admit that they're not the person to set, that can make the decision. And then you wind up chasing them around for six months and, and then they don't sell to you. And that's a good place for deception analysis is, is when people are telling you lies at the bottom. Yeah. So let's, let's talk a little bit about that. Let's talk about, because I, I, like explain, I guess, in layman's terms as best as you can, um, what you do, what, what your actual business is today. Okay. Well, let me start with what caused me to do this. Okay. Yeah. Start there. When I was 45 years old, I had done a really good job of nearly eating myself to death. I weighed 312 pounds. I had I found out that I was a diabetic, five accompanying chronic illnesses. And my doctor told me at 45, she gave me this really nice plan of how I would die by the time I was 50. And she went through every step of everything that would go wrong with me if I didn't change my, my ways. Oh, and, wow. and she said, you know, if you don't change, when you're 50, you'll either be dead or you will literally wish you were. She said, your life will be so miserable, you won't be able to stand it. Holy and, crap. And what happened, and she didn't know it, there's a term in hypnosis called uh, a pattern interrupt. And what she had done was she had interrupted my pattern that quickly and changed my perspective on food, on lifestyle, everything about my life. And it got to the point where she had looked forward to my doctor's appointments a lot more than I did uh, because she was always excited about what my progress was. And she was the kind of doctor that when I had I had to do a food diary, she would bust my chops if my food diary was jacked up. And really, uh, she, she finally had my pictures hanging on the wall uh, of her offices because I was the one diabetic that she had that actually did what she said and, and managed to turn things around. And so my cholesterol came back to normal. My blood pressure came back to normal. Uh, my A1C as a diabetic came back to very much in the normal range. And, you know, it was all just because of the way I changed my lifestyle. So you're and, no longer a diabetic? Well, you're always a diabetic. You oh. can't be get over diabetes. But 
as long as I control my eating, I'm asymptomatic. And uh, so it, it, I appear to be not diabetic, but I did so much to destroy myself physically while I wasn't diagnosed that, you know, some of it just can't be overcome. Wow. But, uh, but, you know, I learned a lot of lessons out of that and, and changed my lifestyle. And, and while I was going through that, I got, got interested in some different mindset. I was trying to work as a weight loss consultant, which is a very frustrating thing to do. If anybody wants to be a weight loss consultant, if you want to be really frustrated, try being a weight loss consultant. <laughs> yeah. Nobody wants to lose weight. Nobody's willing to do the, do the work that it takes, or at least no, most people won't. But I was looking at ways to market myself, and I came across this, this technique called hypnotic marketing. So it basically was working with the subconscious mind and doing all this. And I, I got into that and I was like, this is really cool. So I was like, you know, I'm going to go ahead into hypnosis. So I got certified as a hypnotherapist and NLP master prac. And it was pretty cool. Yeah. And then I was in a really bad car accident. And so I couldn't work for a while. So I took it from there to the next step into deception analysis and body language uh, and that kind of stuff. So it worked out really well. And I really didn't want to go back into the corporate world. I liked, you know, not having to worry about that. I finally realized that I needed to quit chasing people who don't have any money and, and not willing to do the work and go back after the people that have money, uh, which is the corporate world and teach salespeople what I know. Because as I learned this stuff, I learned that almost everything that I was doing worked from that perspective. It's just that nobody knew it. Right. And so now I work with people on why some of the sales techniques that they have work, what doesn't work, what to do when it doesn't work. And, and so from there, it, it's worked out really well. And so now I've got a very unique skill set. Not, not many people have the skill set that I have. That's incredible. That is absolutely incredible. So are you hypnotizing me right now? <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. No. I, I got I, I, A lot of things that I do actually work. As hypno conversational hypnosis was the most powerful that I that I found. Right. You know, you can put somebody in trance and their eyes are closed and all that, but that doesn't work very good in a boardroom or in a sales conference. You know, sales. <laughs> yeah, right. Act the person in the forehead and say sleep. Uh, right. But you, <laughs> you can basically hypnotize a person through conversation. Sure. And it does. It doesn't look like hypnosis that people think about. Their eyes are open. They're communicating. But you're working at a level way beyond, way below uh, cognitive. And right. what, what my research found was that 90, 95 to 97% of the decisions that we make, regardless of what they are, are emotional first. And, and your midbrain and lower brain, your subconscious mind, is about one and a half times the speed or faster than your conscious mind. Right. So by the time it makes its decision, this, the conscious mind catches up. And the only thing it can do is rationalize the emotional decision that it made. And salespeople have a tendency to work here uh, in the cognitive because they think facts, features, function, all of that stuff is going to make a big difference to this person. And they try to logic them to death when, in fact, you need to work with the emotional part of their brain and put them in the product, put, get them to experience the product inside their head. Uh, and then the decision is much easier to make. If I can if I sell a car and I can make you see yourself in that car and experience driving down the road with that car and all these things. I can put you back into that part of your brain and it's going to say, I love this car. And then your, your front brain is just like, well, you know, it is a pretty car. Uh, it does get good get gas mileage. It is safe. And so it's logicking out whatever your subconscious mind has already decided. And wow. so that can be pretty fun. 
I, I dude, the, you you do exactly what I love. I, I mean, I absolutely love everything you're talking about. I do have a really funny story I'll have to tell you sometime about hypnosis. <laughs> when I when I went to a hypnotist to to quit smoking. Oh my god, long story. I'm not going into it now, but it was it was it's a funny story. But but you know that's one of the things that that I've you know. I mean, Zig Ziglar used to say, "Make if you make a friend, you'll make a sale." Well, the only way you can make a friend is if you somehow have appealed to them emotionally, right? So if I'm trying to sell you a car, it's going to be less about what the car costs or what the color is, and more about, "Hey, James, like, what kind of car does your wife like?" Because I know you're married, right? And I know that you 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 you're like every other man in america you're you're living your life to make sure the wife is happy because <laughs> happy wife happy life right so so james what kind of a car do you think your wife would want you to drive <laughs> you think she wants you driving this ferrari or a minivan <laughs> no, right well, down from a minivan to a lincoln so. <laughs> Right. But but, you know, now now I'm going to start getting to that that side of your brain that's like, dude, don't come home in this Ferrari. I'm telling you, she will kill you like <laughs> there's I know a guy that, that had a cor had Corvettes. He loved Corvettes. And so his wife told him, you know, we got a family now. You need to get a family car. So he went out and bought a, an S two SS Camaro because it had a back seat <laughs> and then jacked the engine up to 700 horsepower. <laughs> oh he had a supercar, but it just had a back seat. And he still had a front seat. <laughs> that's called missing missing the point. Like that's really missing the point. Yeah. So I mean, again, it, it's it, it. There's so many salespeople. Like you know, uh, should I sell features or benefits? I, I always say neither. Right. No, neither. You got to find out what makes that person tick. And it's generally a handful of things for everybody. Like it's just, it's, it's an emotion, right? I love it, dude. I love what you do. And of course I'm saying things, but you know it on a much, much, much deeper level. And, and I, I, I love, I love that, man. You know, another thing, a book that I read a long time ago and I've read multiple times, I'm sure I, I would almost bet anything that you've read it. It's um, by T. Harv Eker, the, mil the Secrets of the Millionaire Mind. Uh, no, you haven't. Um, I don't know if I have for sure. Like I say, I've got boatloads of books. Right. I, it doesn't stand out in my mind, but you know, it, it may be in my books. Book it's show. just, it's a book about, about the financial blueprint that we, that every single one of us walking this planet have. We have a financial blueprint that was imprinted on us by somebody else, a parent, teacher, sure. uh, or whatever, right? And right. it's, it's all about how to change your financial blueprint. And it's an amazing book. It really is. Because, again, it all goes back to, to what we were talking about earlier, the, the, the programming of the mind. So 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 you you now do, um, like, you work with, with, like, who? Like, what kind of companies or people? Um, basically, any size company that can afford to pay me. Um, and I, and I do one of the things that I've done, I mean, this is a fairly new company. So one of the things that I do is I pour a lot of free stuff into people, uh, you know, content, you know, I, I train some people for free just to, just to get them out, you know, to get my stuff out there 
goodwill. You know, as like Grant says, you know, if I give you enough sooner or later, you're going to feel obligated to buy from me because I've given you so much stuff. Right. And so, you know, I've done that just to, to get on, the, you know, get off the ground. Uh, and then, you know, I've sold training as well. And, and it's not cheap when I sell it. I mean, I've spent tens of thousands of dollars and tens of thousands of hours learning all of the things that I need. But a salesperson or an executive doesn't need to know everything that I know. They just need to know what to do to get through, to get the maximum amount that they can out of what they're doing. And also to explain things that, you know, I'm a big why person. I want to know how this works. I want to know why this works. And, and one of the things that I've always faced and couldn't ever explain is how a salesperson can go into one business, do their pitch and make a sale. And it just goes smoothly, easy, easy deal. They take the same pitch to another company and it's a fight from the beginning. The, get, the person doesn't like them. It's just yep. everything is a nightmare. And it's the same pitch. But what I found is that usually there's something wrong between the first pitch and the second pitch because it could be them. I mean, they could be having a bad day. Uh, if you know how to read people, you can say, you know what? It, I think today is probably a bad day for you. Why don't I go ahead and reschedule? You appear to be, you know, something's going on and, and, you know, it would be better if we reschedule because I respect your time and let me let me come back rather than sit there and beat them to death when they're in a bad mood. The other thing is that you can change just a little bit about your body language. If you're I, we you know, back in the in the Stone Age when we had pagers, <laughs> I wouldn't wear a pager because it was like a Pavlovian response. If you remember text pagers, nobody paged you with good news. It was always something wrong whenever you got paged. Yeah. So I just refused to wear them because I knew I was going to get bad news on the pager. You can call me if you need to tell me something. So, you know, if, but if something bad happened or something distracted you when you were going to the second appointment, you'll shift yourself, even just my, my, just minor. And what you project non-verbally will change the dynamic. Yeah. Uh, we make our, we make our judgments about people on honesty, integrity, um, and, I think there's, that's the main things, honesty, integrity, confidence, confidence within one second of seeing a person. They don't even need to speak. We're mostly, most of the time wrong, but we do make those judgments just that quick. Yeah. And if you walk into the room non-alpha, down on your, down in your mouth, you're not going to sell a person because they're going to sense that blood in the water and they're not going to do business with you unless it's just something they absolutely have to have. Yeah. So I teach people how to shift that. You know, how to make your body language congruent with your verbal message. And, and you know, it's pe things people don't even understand. But if you're not trained, you still project it. If you're not trained, you still receive it. And, and you don't know what's going back and forth with the nonverbal communication. It's caveman stuff. You just sense it and you don't know why. And But it happens. And so I, I teach people that. I teach them why sales techniques work and how much hypnosis they do whenever they do speak with someone. Uh, you and I are both familiar with the uh, with the yes set in closing. Yeah. You, know, you get to say yes to small things, and and you know they're they're agreeing with you, and then you whack them with a price, and and they are more likely to to agree. Right. Well, that's a hypnotic operator. It's called pacing and leading. So you pace this person through, and their sub or their conscious mind will just check out. You're telling them the truth over and over, and they're sitting there agreeing with you, and the sub or the conscious mind will go off and do something else. And then when you hit them with the with the price or with the close, they're much more likely to to respond because you've run all this hypnosis, hypnotic operators on their on their brain. So you know knowing why those things work makes a big difference to a salesperson. They might not think it does, 
but it does make a huge difference in the way that you set. Well, and I want to, I want to, you know, would you say that, um, I'm going to ask you kind of a, probably in a tough question for you, but it's, it's, you know, the question is what you, so basically you're teaching a form of hypnotic selling. So in a way, in a way, do you, do you feel like that is a form of manipulation, like manipulating the people into buying or do you, is there, is there a different way to frame that? It, well, I mean, if you think of manipulation negatively, you know, that, yeah, it is. If it's just basically influencing someone to do what's best for them, and that's the way I frame it. Right. I try to I try not to train unethical people, and there are some things that I know that I won't train uh, because it basically makes you into like an Obi Wan Kenobi type thing, and it, you don't want people who are unethical to know this stuff. Right. And so, but basically everything hinges on a person being an ethical person, right. and what I tell people is, yeah, you're influencing, maybe you're even manipulating what's going on. But if you know that your product or service is the best thing for that person, then you owe them every possible opportunity to buy your product. And, and so that's the way I look at it. Maybe, maybe in my mind um, there is a, 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 some sort of a negative um, connotation to the, the word hypnosis because right. maybe it's not, it's not, you know, like it's not like the guy with the watch going, like yeah. you know, it's not that. It's 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 right. it's literally having some sort of an effect on the subconscious mind of the other person that you're talking with. And that's why I call it uh, persuasion language, persuasion and influence linguistics, rather than yeah. <laughs> conversation hypnosis, because it has a much better connotation and it makes it easier for a person to grasp the concept if they're not really looking for conversational hypnosis stuff. When I talk about persuasion and influence language. It makes a little more sense to the person. They're a little bit more receptive. Sure, sure. And you don't have to worry about people in the Bible Belt or you know people who have preconceived notions about hypnosis saying you know I don't want to learn that stuff. You know I, that's yeah. evil or that's that doesn't work. You know I would rather just teach them persuasion and influence rather than hypnosis. Yeah. I mean, if you've ever watched or re- watched a Tony Robbins video or a um, I, I, I read one of his books. You you were you were in the middle of of some some neuro linguistic programming right there, right. which is a form of hypnosis. I mean, it's it's right. So a neuro associative conditioning. I know that he talks a lot about that as well. And um, and I know some I know some people that are amazing. I know one lady that's one of the the world's top. Um, um, counselor psychotherapist i think is what she's called but it's not it's not like some weird she doesn't do prescriptions and she literally helps you uncover what's blocking you in your unconscious mind and or keeping you stuck in a in a in an alcohol or drug addiction or whatever so um it's it's very very effective i i've i've read a lot about it i've read i'm looking at a few tony robbins books over there on one of my bookshelves so yeah and if you notice when tony first started his program and i had i bought his first program on audio on audio cassette yeah and, and we went the giant um no it was uh power uh what was unlimited it? power unlimited power yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, and I bought the whole set. It was you know like two feet wide and, yep. and had tapes in each box, and yep. you know it took a while to get through it. But Tony was teaching neuro linguistic programming 
before NLP was popular and before it was accepted. And, and he never called it NLP. Right. And, and limited power. He didn't talk about NLP much, if any, because that wasn't an accepted you know thing by a lot of people. So he just taught it as how to unstick your mind, how to get you know breakthrough. And, and so that's the way he taught it rather than NLP. And that's kind of the way that I do with it. Uh, you know, it's the whole package. And, and but if you learn how to speak to people when you're especially when you're in a sales position and that may be with your wife, it yeah. may be with a client, it may be with an executive. But just by changing and tweaking words, you change the way that a person responds. Yep. If I can get you to go inside your head and and get attached emotionally and, and go that way, I, it's much easier to persuade you. And, and it's not unethical. You're just basically trying to, and you, but it can be. You, but you know, an ethical person, you're just trying to get that the client to where you're. They're getting the best possible solution for them, without getting too analytical about it yeah. and trying to them out of it. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of people sell people out of things as much as they sell people into it because they just got into the weeds and, and the details and facts and features and functions of, of the products. And, and it just bores the person to death and they're just tired of it. And, and you yeah. get somebody acting you to death. And, and that's, the, that's one of the things, and I'm sure you teach this, but you know, you, when, when, a, when a customer says, okay, I'll take it, shut up and write up the deal. <laughs> like, <laughs> And I've seen it, man. I've been I've been out in the field training salespeople and watch. I you know because I love to watch body language and 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 buying signals myself. And and I've seen it where it's like, okay, it's a done deal, dude. Write it up, like. And and they keep talking and talking and talking because salespeople. I think a lot of salespeople. I'm not saying all, so don't send me any hate messages. But but I think a lot of salespeople are insecure and 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 they may get the sale because you know i think it's there's this desire in most people that they want to help the underdog so they detect that wow this guy's really insecure let me help him out by buying this widget that i don't need really but i'll buy it anyway and then they just keep talking and talking and talking until they talk the sale away yep they'll eventually change their mind and and then they won't close (laughs) right you're right. You know, there's a time to shut up and, and just write the order. Right. You, know, you can put like a sales funnel and get the close, then come back and add on something at the end. But, right. you know, get the order first. Get the order. <laughs> yeah. So you get the sale. So, but, so yeah. you charge, um, you charge a pretty good amount of money. I know. And I'm, I don't know if you advertise or not, but you charge a good amount of money to go in and, and, and help people. And, and I'm sure you do a fantastic job. What are some other things that you would like my audience to know about you and what you do and, and your journey? I mean, it's, it's, again, we didn't cover a lot of, well, this happened and then I thought I wasn't going to make it, but, um, we covered oh, there some. Were a lot of things that I didn't think I was going to make it. When the first company failed, I, it was like a sick baby, you know. It, it was my like my child. I created it from nothing. Yeah. And you know, I would spend a lot of nights, all night, sitting in my office, staring at you know the computer with the spreadsheet, you know, just racking my brain and just watching my little baby die. Yeah. And nothing I could figure out to do it. And you know, there was a lot of times that I didn't think I was going to make it. But I think the entrepreneurial mind. Well, a lot of times we have the rose-colored glasses. Because I'll talk about all the great things when I was, you know, in business, in the computer business, and then in the defense contracting, how great it was. And she'll remind me, you know, she'll say, you forgot all the nights that you spent 
you know, all night doing this, or when I was a defense contractor, you've forgotten about driving a thousand miles and, you know, and, and doing this stuff over and over and over and how exhausted you were, you know, throughout the buying season. And, and but we don't remember that stuff. We remember the, the thrill of, of the deposits and the thrill of closing deals and, and all of this stuff. And I think that's just a part of the entrepreneurial mind. Yeah. If we don't get that stuff, we will never, will always be paralyzed. Yeah. And getting those bad things negated is, is critical. Well, I can tell you this. If I remembered all the bad stuff, there's no way I'd be an entrepreneur. <laughs> <laughs> there's never... no way. Yeah. Like, dude, no. Like, that's just like, there. Uh, and I'm sure we both have some unbelievable stories, but we are coming to the end of the hour. Um, I saw Hank Norman just like the like the video, so we love we love Hank and and Steve. Um, so how- one thing that I the one thing that I didn't mention, let me mention it real quick, and it's what people love to watch the most when I speak is the deception analysis and watching people lie and how people lie. You mentioned it earlier. Uh, everybody lies, yeah. and you, you know, it, people say, no, I don't lie. And, and I'll say, well, you know, when somebody asks you how you're doing, you say, well, I'm fine. It's the, it's the number one lie told is that I'm fine. I had a guy one time say, we say that in church. And I was like, yeah, you lie. <laughs> yeah, a bunch of liars uh, down there. <laughs> you know, and, and, you know, the average person will see, but it will be lied to between 20 and 200 times in a day. Yeah. Now that's not high value lies. That's just like the I'm fine lie. Right. But if you know how to just, how to spot deception, you know, it's it changes the whole way that you approach someone. And salespeople spend so much time chasing people who are never going to buy, yep. uh, chasing the wrong person in the company. And if you can read that person and you can read their deception and know when they're lying, you don't have to say, no, you're lying. Dude. I know you can't make this decision. Right. But and work around the lie and navigate, you know, that minefield and get them to finally say, you know, what what is true. Yeah. And that's all what we're looking for is the truth. Now, if I'm in, if I'm analyzing criminals or if I'm analyzing, you know, a person on the news and I'm looking for the deception, then yeah, I do that. But when you're doing it in a sales environment, it's important to to it. You'll raise your sales rate by twenty percent, twenty to twenty five percent, just being able to read the person's body language and the deception that they they're trying to put put by you. And that includes, you know, relationships at home. That relates to everything, right? So. Absolutely. <clears throat> that's that's the thing is I, I think that people don't realize and and I, I'm not saying I'm always aware of it because I'm I'm not there's sometimes I go into that that you know no brain zone I guess or whatever you want to call it um, but like there's there's a lot of stuff going on around you that you literally if you would just look you would see it but your unconscious mind has you so programmed to to not see it and it's literally right there it's insane right. and a lot of times you'll you'll come out of a meeting and you'll say there was just something wasn't right with that man i don't know what it was i can't put my finger on it but just something didn't feel right about that guy most of the time they've got their body language jacked up and they're lying to you yep and you know the average person if they're looking for deception will spot it about 50 to 54% of the time if you're not looking for it, you'll miss about 80%. And when you train in deception analysis, you'll pick up between 80 and 90% of the, of the lies you're told. And it can be kind of disappointing watching people lie uh, because they lie all the time. And people say, you know, wh- how do you deal with that? And you just kind of turn it down. And it's like, yeah, they lied, but it doesn't matter. 
right? Yeah, I don't care. I'm not going <laughs> to just let them lie, and I'll know they lie. Uh, so uh, it, it's, but it is a fascinating science, and and how it works with people, and people love this the presentation on it. Do you have any? You have any books out or anything? I haven't got one out yet. I'm I'm working on one, uh, but it's not come out. It's not out yet. Good. And I, going forward and then going backwards and saying that won't work. You know, yeah. I don't want that. And of course, Hank has been working with me some on this book, and and that can be very frustrating because he drives you hard. He does. You're trying to book and it's like you know you don't do it that way. You got to do it this way. And yeah. you know, it, it's very. He makes it very different than you know person that just sits down and you know types out a book. Right. It's, not, it's not that way when you're writing a quality book, usually. Uh, you know, one of the things that, um, and I, I mean, this drives me crazy. This literally makes me crazy. And if I say it, which I do say it um, once in a while, I'll catch myself. And that is when you're in the middle of a conversation and you go, look, I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. <laughs> like, or to be honest, like... Wait a minute, dude. So you've been lying to me this whole time, and now all of a sudden you got a conscience? Like, what? Yeah. What are you talking about? Like, don't say that. Do you, Do you ever? You You got to well, catch that. Actually, when you said that, you gave me two indicators that are both over eighty percent accurate. You said I won't lie to you, which is a qualifier, which is about eighty percent accurate when a person does that. And then you said I'm not gonna I'm not gonna lie to you, and so you're shaking your head no while you're telling me you're not gonna lie to me. And, <laughs> Right. And it's like, well, you know, it's definitely a lie when you do that. Two <laughs> right. And you know a person's going, you know, lying to you. <laughs> I know. Like, I, I can't stand that. And I, I don't do it. I do it once in a while. I'll, I'll, it'll slip. I'll say, look, to be honest with you. And I'm like, <sighs> and then I'll literally say to them, just to make light of what I, a, a dumb statement I just made, I'll say, because I've been lying to you this whole time, so now I'm going to be honest with you. <laughs> right. Because <laughs> right? yeah. it's like, that's the dumbest thing anybody could say. I hate that. Well, and that, that also has to be in context. It has to be an under pressure, you know, a, a relevant yeah. issue. You know, if I just say, I'm going to be honest with you, uh, you know, I did it twice, I did two there, but, you know, it, it may not matter at all if it's irrelevant. Right, you know, it may just right. be the way the, the person processed that. But if I ask you a relevant question, you know, and you say, I'm going to be perfectly honest with you, uh, and you shake your head no, or you shrug a shoulder when you do that, or I'm going to be perfectly honest with you, uh, you know, and all of those are indicators. I don't and know all what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, you know, you got to watch a person in the conversation because a person may have allergies and they just scratch their nose. Right. But if they never scratch their nose, you ask them a relevant question, and they immediately scratch their nose, that's because you have erectile tissue in your nose and it swells. It's the only fairy tale type story that's actually true. Your nose does grow when you lie. What? Yeah. You're, that's what causes a person to scratch their nose when they lie is that, that, that the blood flows to, to that part of your nose and, and it itches. And so, so you do that. Really? Dude, you know you know some really cool stuff. I can't wait for your book to come out. Hopefully it's about some of this stuff. And, Me neither. <laughs> and, because you know, again, you can get into some some other books and like by Tony Robbins and other people, and it may talk a little bit. And I, who was it? Uh, uh, Roger Bandler is that who? Um, or the the creator Bandler and Bandler that, that that started the NLP. NLP, yeah. Bandler and and his he had a partner in it. Bender. Who? 
Grinder. Grinder, that's right, yeah. So, so, you know, you can get into some of these books and they go, either they go way too detailed <clears throat> and they're not for the, the lay person um, right. or Tony, and I love Tony's books, but sometimes it's like, like, dude, his books are like, you know, the Bible. They're so thick with information. It's like, oh, my gosh. So, so you know, hopefully you're, you have a book coming out with some, some good information that's, that's, um, that will help the average person. When you have your, like your NLP, and usually it's drilled into NLP, you have your conversational hypnosis that will go into that. you got, you know, uh, some of the other sciences, deception analysis. And if you only do one, that's pretty good. But the science of selling is all about neuropsychology and, and uh Neurophysiology and, and social psycho psychology psycho neurology. Right. Gosh, hard to say. So it's <laughs> and I don't say that very often because people go what? Uh, but but basically what I do is tie all of it together into the science of selling, and, and so you get all of that stuff. You know, when I train you, when I consult with you, that's what I'm going to be teaching is the whole package, unless you just ask me for one. Yeah. Well, man, you, there's a lot. You have a lot of knowledge, a lot, and and it sounds like it was the pain of of a lot of other things that pushed you to to learn what you know and teach what you know. Right. So, listen, I how can everybody follow you? Where's the best place? Best place is probably on Facebook. Uh, it's all in com. A L L N is in Nancy C O M. Uh, I thought I was making it simple by taking the I out, and I've made it so complicated that I've got to tell people there is no I in All In Com. Uh, and it's All In Communication is the name of the company. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm on LinkedIn as James G. Springer, and I, I'm on Twitter and Instagram, but I've never really wrapped my head around them, so I don't really do much there. Yeah. But, you know, I, I'm, I'm pretty active on LinkedIn and Facebook. Awesome. Awesome. Well, James, thank you so much for being a guest on the show today, sharing your life story. And and everybody, make sure you are following James if you're not, because as you can see, the dude knows his stuff. So thank you. From the bottom of my heart, I appreciate you being on here. It's been my pleasure. Yeah. And uh, everybody else, we will see you tomorrow. I've got another guest coming on tomorrow, so we will see you guys tomorrow. Have an awesome day. James, don't hang up on Skype. We'll see you guys later. Thank you.